I'm in beautiful Dubai with a pioneer of online games and virtual worlds. Today, he's putting the world on chain by blending augmented and virtual reality. He also coined the term XR. Robert Rice, thank you so much for joining me. How you doing, Rob? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? You're listening to Coin Geek Conversations with Natalie Mason. Very good. I can't believe where we are. This is really nice. I, I know. It's it's it's, uh, it's crazy. It feels like there's no you know COVID or anything. Everything exactly. is pretty warm, sunny, and awesome. We've been tested. We've been tested. Multiple luckily, times. So we've got this okay. <laughs> First of all, in a nutshell, for people, what do you do at Transmira and Omniscape? Okay, so so Transmira is my company, and we're developing a platform called Omniscape, where we basically blend augmented reality and virtual reality together, with a focus on location to basically help businesses and brands connect with each other and provide really cool, amazing experiences for consumers that they can you know obviously have fun with, but they're also monetized. So the idea is to basically help. Uh, again, businesses and brands drive traffic to stores uh, and uh, you know give consumers fun and interesting experiences. I watched a little bit of your presentation at the CoinGeek conference, and that was really fascinating, especially how you're able to monetize this with what you're doing for businesses. So we'll get into that a little bit later. But first, can you help me with a definition of augmented reality and virtual reality? Sure. Um, so most people are familiar with virtual reality, where, you, where like Ready Player One, where you mm. put on a head-mounted display and it's very immersive. And it's very much uh, you going to some other place, like Mars, the Moon, the Matrix. Matrix is a virtual reality. Augmented reality is more like um, uh, Terminator vision or like the Iron Man heads-up display, where we're basically using uh, th- you know, some 3D techniques to create objects and data that hover in space, kind of like holograms. Um, or if you're like a Star Trek fan, you know, the holographic doctor or whatever. Or if you're a Pokemon Go player, that's technically augmented reality. So virtual reality is me being fully immersive going somewhere else. And augmented reality is about blending 3D objects and data with the world around you. So how do you blend AR and VR? Uh, it's very tricky. It requires a lot of hamsters and magic. Um, so not really hamsters, but it does require <laughs> magic. Um, so basically what we do is, well, you know, we tend to do a lot of the fun AR stuff at a location. We thought, you know, okay, well, how can we also bridge this over to the VR space? So the idea is basically we create digital twins. And a digital twin is it's defined as like a one-to-one scale 3D copy of somewhere. So we can model, like you see a house modeled in 3D for like an architectural um, you know, design or something. We basically do the same thing and then take that 3D environment and link it to a location. So instead of me going into a game like World of Warcraft or Second Life or something to experience a 3D environment, we might have a 3D building of like this hotel or of an office space links to a location. So as a remote user, you put on your head-mounted display or you just use a browser, and you can go and explore the environment with your avatar and everything, which is cool. But the blending comes in because it's at that one-to-one scale. If I know where you and your avatar are inside of the building, I can also draw or create one in the real world, like a hologram, in AR, and then vice versa. As you and I are sitting here, I know where we're located, so we should have avatars in the VR simulation of this place. And when you do that, now you've got this amazing way where we can interact with other holograms or avatars of people that are located in other cities, which opens up a huge amount of opportunities in education, healthcare, um, you know, training, entertainment. It's just crazy. So yeah, this is really mind-blowing to me. So how does it work with actually putting these things on location in reality? 
Um, so there's there's a variety of things. One of the things we start with is obviously GPS, uh, which you can get from your phone. You know, pretty easy. It's really easy to find GPS stuff. So all of the content we have, whether it's a 3D object or it's an IoT device that's located somewhere or an avatar, we give it that that sense of location. And then we kind of step things up a little bit. So we have our own world map and we have our own set of coordinates. So we say, you know, okay, this GPS location plus these coordinates plus some other things we do with really fancy computer vision. What I find really cool as well about speaking to you over the last few days and even now is that you've always got such passion for what you're talking about. So where does that come from for you? How did you kind of get your start in this? Um, I I really have to blame it on Tron and Disney. (laughs) This is probably, I could go go back that far. Um, You know, when I was a kid, I obviously read comic books and watched all the movies. But the idea of being able to go inside of a computer was just like, okay, I, I need to do that. Um, and then, of course, over the years, you know, reading science fiction or, you know, Terminator, whatever. So there's the passion to kind of, I want to see that. And then as the years go by, you know, we were promised flying cars in 2020, and we should have a moon base by now. <laughs> and, like, there's a certain amount of, okay, you know, I'm only 25, but my hair is going gray, <laughs> and I'm tired of waiting for everybody else to do it, so fine, I'm just going to do it. And fortunately for me, uh, I, was, uh, you know, I had some interesting opportunities when I was young. And uh, you know, I got into VR probably like 1992. So 1992. See, this is like really ahead of the game. Like we're oh. literally talking pioneering stuff here. Yeah, no, for for sure. So this is the days of 486s, you know, pre-Pentium, and you know whatever. And you know, I think uh, um, I was actually I had my first business. It was a comic book store. That's what I was doing. And um, you know, we had a Tandy Teal 2 with you know, 16 megabytes of RAM, the 256 colors in the monitor. I mean, really old. Uh, but one day this guy comes in uh, my store and he's like, hey, I've built a VR machine. Can I put it in your store? And I was like, you know, well, yeah, bring it on in, man. And then a few months later, uh, he offered me a job, mostly because I knew how to use a computer and the mouse. Like, that qualified me. Um, and I was his first employee, and then things kind of, you know, took off from there. And So can you tell me then about an early success story from then? Uh, an early success story? So, so let's see. Well, what would be a good one? Well, well, we actually built it, right? So... Um, what's good? I think. Okay, actually, I got one for you. So, so doing stuff like VR back in those days was really, really hard. Um, we didn't have hardware accelerators, um, which you know every, all computers pretty much have these days. And uh, head-mounted displays at the time were these huge, massively bulky things. You'd put one on, and your head would immediately just drop down. You'd get like neck strain, <laughs> and three minutes into it, and you're like super nausea. Right? This was terrible. Um, but so we had a, a few innovations there to kind of you know clean those up, make them a little lighter, you know, kind of deal with. Um, but one of the other things was we were basically building VR arcade games. Um, so, you know, we had to build out the whole, the box and the unit and all that. And the way arcade games are made back in those days, they basically had, you know, uh, the motherboard or circuit board was a one-off for that particular game. So we were the first company to ever use PC components in arcade games. And that made things, you know, a lot cheaper, a lot easier to make faster and give us a lot of other, you know, flexibility. Um, so. Wow. Love that. Okay, so now if we're going to fast forward all the way back to today and what you're doing at Omniscape. The last uh, several months have been very, very busy and active for us. Um, and we've you know, certainly gotten more involved in the, the Bitcoin SV community. Um, so we're at the point now where you know, we've built out a lot of the core tech for this amazing platform. It's got a lot of moving pieces. Um, and I think starting in uh, early January, we're going to open up um, early access, or at least signups. And then starting in February, we're going to be rolling out different parts of the platform over the spring and into the summer. So one of the early pieces is going to be um, what we call digital airspace and virtual real estate, which is a whole other really cool thing. And then there's some marketplace stuff and some other tools 
because we don't want to just do things for businesses and brands. We're trying to build uh, the platform, you know, the, or, or maybe the fundamentals for the future that other people can build on. And a big piece of that is is content creation. I want to make it really easy for you know grandma or you know my my seventh grade you know child or whatever to create fun and interesting experiences and then share them you know with their friends and also have the ability to monetize them. And I think that if we can make it easy for anybody, business, brand, consumer, content creator to make things and monetize it quickly, I think we'll destroy everybody else. See, I'm glad you mentioned monetization there as well. So can you explain to everyone how that works? How can you monetize this? Um, so there's a couple of different ways. Um, so the first one is super easy. Like with the, the businesses and brands, basically, uh, we kind of treat things a little bit like a Pokemon Go for brands. Mm. So they can, like Starbucks, for example, could do a campaign and basically geolocate 3D Starbucks coffee cups all over the place. You pull out your phone, you find one, you touch it like you're getting a Pokemon, and then you go to the store and you redeem it and there's a coffee. It's great for you. It's free coffee for you, right? Love that. But for Starbucks, it's not about, you know, go to our store and see a fun little thing or scan a label. It's they can place those objects where their ideal customers are. So they can basically reach out and target audience and then push them to the stores, which drives traffic to the store. And then all that happens. And then, amazing. Can I play devil's advocate sure. for a quick second? And what about the safety aspects in this? I mean, I know we've heard stories on other platforms. What about oh, yeah. people looking at their phones so excited to, you know, win a cup of coffee that they step into a yeah. road? No, that, that, that's, that's actually a very, very good, good case. Uh, so first of all, we won't allow people putting coffee in the road. <laughs> nice. Because, you know, <laughs> if you're really desperate for coffee, you, you'll do things. Um, no, so let me, I'll, I'll segue over mm. to the virtual real estate side. So when we looked at how other companies like Niantic did with Pokemon, there were a lot of problems with placing content in inappropriate places, yes. right? You know, the cemetery, somebody's backyard, private property. So we thought, okay, how do we, you know, make this fun and interesting, but also make it easy to, you know, retain privacy and security and a kind of control. So we let any kind of business or like a property owner, a building owner come to us and say, hey, I'm going to claim the digital airspace for my location. And we'll do that for free. It's all yours. And that basically lets you say, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a church, I'm whatever. Put me on the no AR list. That's easy. Or I don't want any adult content here or any offensive content. Very lightweight um, um, you know, kind of moderation. Mm. And like, that's it. And that's for free. And then on the other side of the coin, um, we treat location like domain names. So for like two, th two or three dollars, you can go on you know, to Omniscape and basically buy a location somewhere. Like, you know, 23, whatever sort of you know, foot wide hexagon. Uh, and that space is yours for two years, just like a domain name, and it'll cost like another dollar, two dollars, whatever, to renew it. And then as long as you own it, you can either A, sell it to somebody else, make a lot of money, like a domain name, or when uh, somebody like a brand or a business or a content creator pays to place content somewhere, we'll do a revenue share with whoever owns it. So the smart people will like try to buy Times Square and all their favorite stadiums and the universities and the malls and the airports. Love that. Because as content creators are creating stuff and um, businesses and brands are placing content. That's really huge. So you're almost in for, incentivizing any person out there to be able to get a hand in this and make some money. And we want to make it, like I said, super cheap. So one, two, three dollars, whatever for each location. And, and honestly, it's really addictive. You know, I had, we did a friends and family test last year and some of our people like, you know, click, click, yeah. click. We had to take out the sound because it was too much like the bubble. Yeah. So, but, oh. but the idea is we want to make it easy, like I said, easy for people to make money and kind of keeping it low and accessible like that. You can speculate like domain names. I'm going to buy cool locations and resell them. Or I'm going to try to anticipate 
where the market's going to grow, where people are, where the activity is. So, for example, I don't know, New Year's Eve, you probably want to own Times Square, right? Or the Tokyo Olympics is coming up next year. The, uh, the World Expo is going to be in Dubai next wow, year. Wow, so we are talking global here already. Global, yeah, absolutely. Now, of course, you know, I don't know that you necessarily want to buy a location in the middle of the ocean because mm-hmm. there's not going to be a lot of brands there. <laughs> um, but one of the things we've been thinking about doing is kind of partnering up with uh, other charities and things. So if you buy a spot in the middle of the Pacific, maybe we'll donate some of that to clean the oceans or save the Great. whales or something. Um, and I kind of expect people to get bored and just do little, you know, pixel art too, I'm gonna, you know, whatever. So. so what are we talking about time scale here? Is this up and running, ready to go? You mentioned the family having a practice go. Where are you at with it? Uh, yeah, so uh, well, the, the virtual real estate stuff should be, I mean, it's, it's, it's live now behind our servers. Uh, we should wow. make it open in public probably by February. Maybe ah, mega. Say, uh, March at the extreme latest. So Now, of course, we here at CoinGeek are big supporters of Bitcoin SV. How are we putting the world on chain? Um, so, so I, I should start first by saying we did a lot of uh, kind of research and analysis because you know mm. when you say blockchain, that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Yeah. And and as I mentioned, you know, or the last couple of days, and certainly at CoinGeek before, there really is no choice when you compare the technical pieces, you know, size, speed, scale, you know, cost, whatever. Uh, you'd have to be an idiot in my industry to do something else that's not you know, Bitcoin SV. So I just want to say that to everybody. I love that you're saying that. And had you tried on other blockchains before coming to Bitcoin SV? Um, yes, but we didn't go too far down the rabbit hole. You know, just saying like, well, it's going to cost me this to do this, and I got to do 100,000 of these in a day. A, it can't handle the scale, and B, I don't want to pay a trillion dollars for it. Computer so. says no. Computer says no. Yeah, we're moving on. You know? <laughs> and my engineers did not push back on that at all. They're like, yeah, whatever. Um, so... As we're doing things, specifically like the virtual goods that are linked to other real-world products and services, or the virtual real estate, or you know, when we do like the digital twin thing, uh, we want to be able to ingest data from like IoT devices, your Amazon Alexa, you know, all that sort of stuff. And being able to take all of that and kind of you know track it on blockchain helps us understand that a, the information I have or the data, it's true, it's real, it has integrity. We have a history. We can track things. So if you buy a piece of real estate or you find an object, you know that it's, it's real. It's not like a copy. It's not a fake or a fraud. And then you can kind of look at the history. And sometimes the history of something has meaning, right? I owned this before you. You owned it before somebody else or whatever. Um, and then also, it just, it just open, it makes a lot of things easier, and it solves some problems with security and scale that you wouldn't normally get. Putting it all on blockchain makes it just so much easier, and it gives you that sense of trust and security. And then... From the business side of the fence, um, you know, when you are, are a brand or a marketing agency, whatever, and you put an ad in the paper or commercial on TV, um, you don't really know how well that goes. You know, did people like it and then they showed up, or they would they show up anyway? How many people showed up because of my commercial? There's no way to tell. But in our case, because we track from that very first impression all the way through to the, the consumers going in and getting their free coffee, the transaction, and then doing all of that on blockchain. Now we can go back to the brand or the advertiser and say, hey, I can validate and prove the, the return on the investment of your ad spend. You spent this many dollars, this many people showed up, this is where they came from, this is where they redeemed. That's amazing. So now you can target, retarget, refine, do whatever, or they can go back to their boss, to their board, and say, hey, we spent this much money, look how great it was, this is the data, this is hardcore, solid data, we want more money. Or from another perspective, this one's, I really haven't talked about this a lot. <laughs> We can also trigger content based off of like streaming media like TV or whatever. 
So imagine watching a Super Bowl and a Doritos commercial comes on TV. Okay. Well, whip out your phone because there's probably going to be a 3D bag of Doritos that you can grab and then go to the mall or whatever. But what's really crazy is because of how we kind of track things um, and we can change the content. So let's say there's three people sitting on a couch watching the football game and, you know, the Doritos commercial comes on TV. We can deliver a different experience to each one. Maybe I'm getting the free bag of Doritos. The guy next to me is getting, you know, an offer on Dr. Pepper, and the third guy Both is getting that. something Literally about Nike. catered to what, yeah. Right, but, but, but the crazy thing is that now so that I can deliver it that way, I'm also getting data back. So somebody like Nielsen, for example, can tell you what a household does, what a household watches, what a household likes. We'll be able to tell you what the individuals in the household like, buy, interact with, engage with, or whatever, giving a whole other level of granularity on blockchain that you simply just can't get with Nielsen. Wow. See, that is super, super impressive. I love it. So actually then, and one of Bitcoin SV's main things is bit, data, coin, money. So you're almost fusing the two here, would you say? Absolutely. And we're making it 3D. So you've been someone who's been in this game and successfully in the tech space since the 90s. So for my kids, your kids, what do you hope to see in 10, 20 years time? Uh, well, I'm still waiting for the flying cars. Yeah, uh, where are they? For, for sure. I mean, we're, we're close, but... Not <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think just from tech in general, uh, I, I would really look at... There's going to be a lot of, uh, I think, more advancements in like textiles mm -hmm. and things just our materials, how we do material stuff. Uh, certainly things like aquaculture, you know, when you start looking at sustainability issues or whatever, I think we're going to begin moving away from the traditional methods of doing things and really looking at how do we... And when you're saying that with textiles, so what do you mean by that? You mean as in, so we wouldn't need to use so much water to make a pair of oh. jeans or, or no, what no, are you I mean, talking? different types of materials, uh -huh. so for clothing or for, for vehicles or for buildings. I just think that materials and textile sciences are, are rapidly advancing because wow. there's just new tech going on. Um, I also think probably, and this may be a little more long, you know, 10 or 20 years, whatever, but I, I think that some of the anti-aging tech is finally starting to come into play. Um, I've been tracking other things along the lines of um, uh, research in terms of uh, regenerating optical nerves and stuff. I have some vision issues, so I'm, I'm paying attention to that. So I think some medical sciences in particular areas are going to improve. Obviously, with COVID, the rapid response to the vaccine, I think that's historic, and that's going to start having other implications. Um, but from a pure tech side, I think it's a while before we get robots. Smart holograms are going to come sooner. We're probably going to lead the way there. I think the future is wide open, and Huge. COVID specifically, I think, has really been a wake-up call for a lot of people that we've been taking our time on some things and not really paying attention, but now we have to reinvent education, we have to reinvent safety, things, travel. So I think this, while 2020 is probably the lost year. Yeah, we can, all, we can board, all agree. And everything crazy has happened. We haven't had zombies yet or aliens, <laughs> but we've literally had everything yeah. else. There's, there's, there's a few days left, yeah, Robert, here, you know? Fingers crossed, right? <laughs> Um, but, but having said that, I think that because of all of that, that's really pushing a lot of attention and resources in areas that have been maybe, oh, that's fun, we'll get to that sometime in the future. Yeah. But I was like, no, we actually now. need we that need now, let's make that happen. So. Absolutely. Well, Robert, thank you so much for your time, and, yeah, and we're going to be watching Omniscape. Super excited to see. So as a final little question for you, if you could be any comic book character, who would you be? Uh, <laughs> okay, that's a good one. Uh, uh, wow. So... Uh, that's really tough. I'd have to go. There's, there's three. I'm, I'm a big fan of Green Lantern, just willpower, whatever. Um, but also the tech side. You think you would normally expect me to say Tony Stark because that would obviously fit. But there's another character in the uh, the Marvel universe. His name is Forge. Who's also very much a think it, you know, create it and do fun techie stuff. So blend them all together. 
Love that, Robert. Thank you so much for your time. You're yeah, an absolute hero. Thank awesome. You. Thank you. Next week's episode gives you the opportunity to learn about a new offering from the Bitcoin SV Academy. Charles Miller gets to grips with some basic technology questions when he talks to Brendan Lee about his introduction to Bitcoin theory course. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and we'll see you soon. <laughs>